James, what would you rather live without, air conditioning or coffee? Oh, definitely I would rather live without coffee. Air conditioning, you know, it, it practically saved the southern United States. It's only in the past century that uh, industry manufacturing moved down to places like Florida because air conditioning was invented. I mean, you think about it, air conditioning is hard. Like, how, like Florida and Texas are 100 degrees. How did they, like, bring... I don't know how they did it. How do they like make cold air over there? It, it may it sometimes boggles what, what my do you mind. Mean, how did they make cold air over you know, there? I don't understand. Before the, air conditioning, you mean, or with air conditioning? No, with air conditioning. Oh, you want to know how air conditioning works? You know, I don't even want to know how it works. It, it's a reminder to me that, like, when I'm looking at a construction site, for instance, I can't imagine how people from the same species as me I'm with you. figured out all of these smart things. Because I feel like the stupidest person in the world I'm most of the time. I still can't figure out how we figured out that it was okay to eat an artichoke. Yeah, an artichoke or... I don't Coffee. Know. We've talked about that yeah. in the past. Coffee. How did, how did they figure out how to smoke heroin? Or, or shoot it up? A lot of trial and error. Can you imagine what must have happened between successful heroin and unsuccessful heroin? Well, I guess like opium comes from a plant. Poppy. So what, how do they, instead of putting like poppy seeds on a bagel, how do they take the left turn and make opium? <laughs> um, I'm guessing that a lot of these are observations that happen in history. Like you notice that a person or animal seems drunk and then you figure out what they ate and it turns out that the blank that they ate had fermented and had become alcoholic or whatever, right? That's how, right. That's how that kind of stuff happens. All right, let me ask you a question. Maybe you do know the answer Hit to this. Me. And it's probably related to a big corporate America or whatever, but... Uh, they run everything. Yeah, so... Except this podcast. Why is heroin illegal, but alcohol and cigarettes not illegal? Well, like, I know this is a basic question that everyone asks at, at some point in their lives. Heroin, I think, is a harder argument. We've actually done a fair amount of writing on alcohol versus um, marijuana. So, so the thought experiment is simple as this. Imagine that you and I woke up today... And the world had, until today, not discovered either alcohol or marijuana, right? Right. Which is hard to imagine that we would have gotten to where we are today without either, especially since alcohol has been such an important part of sacraments, you know, royalty and religion and so on. But anyway, imagine we'd gotten here. But, by the way, book recommendation, sorry to interrupt, History of the World in Six Glasses. Have you read it? I haven't. Well, it, go, it, looks, it, it totally flips the history of the world upside down and shows that... All of human history is basically based on the development of these six drinks, you know, and um, beer, wine, spirits, tea, coffee, and then I forgot what the final one was. Water? I forget. Wow. Uh, so what's the, what's the name of the book? A History of the World in Six Glasses. Wow. And, and, and what you said about how important alcohol has been for not only sacraments but trade. So mm -hmm. we know we, we get drunk to each, with each other when we end a war yeah. and, and so yeah. on. Well, so my thought experiment is simply this. Imagine if you can, and it will be hard, that we'd gotten to where we are in civilization without either alcohol or marijuana, and then they're both discovered overnight. And then the question is, how will the two substances be treated in terms of being legal or illegal? How will they be sold, regulated, and so on? And I think the most obvious answer is not saying there's a right answer or a wrong answer, but the most obvious answer is there's no way that there would be such a vast schism between alcohol and 
and marijuana. So even though alcohol marijuana has become more acceptable lately in this country, slowly but surely, the fact is that marijuana is mostly illegal and mostly considered um, a pretty societally damaging drug, whereas alcohol is mostly legal. And even though I would argue that it's societally and physiologically very, very, very damaging uh, overall, maybe not on average, but overall, um, that but anybody can get it anywhere if you're over a certain age and even under a certain age. So, so And there's been pretty compelling research that if you try to measure the detriments, the costs in our society now of alcohol versus marijuana, it's pretty easy to make the argument that alcohol is a much, much, much worse drug than marijuana. So do you buy the argument that um, in the 1920s, as an example, white people were drinking alcohol and black people were smoking marijuana and that's why marijuana is mostly still illegal and alcohol is legal? Uh, I have no idea um, how true, if at all, that may be. But what I do know is that whenever you look at these, um, you know, kind of binary situations, like this one is okay and this one is not, we like to think that there's some really logical explanation for them. Like, you know, uh, 300 years ago, a bunch of doctors formed a board to sit down and say, this substance is going to be okay. It's, we're going to approve this one because it's pretty okay for the human being. But this one, we're worried about it. It might have long-term effects. That just never happened. And most of these things that we look at as signposts or landmarks in history are just accidents of history. So whatever the reasons are, maybe it was that alcohol had been used more and longer in more places by people in power and there was just no way they were going to consider it a bad thing. It's like, I think of doctors. Like, we've we sometimes, we've talked about the story of Ignaz Semmelweis. This is the young Viennese doctor who kind of discovered germ theory before it had a name. And he discovered that one reason that so many women were dying in childbirth was because the doctors were coming straight from the morgue where they were conducting autopsies. And they hadn't thought that there were damage. And they didn't wash their hands. And they didn't wash their hands. And when he presented this theory, which turned out to be totally right, by the way, he was considered a heretic. And they basically hounded him out of medicine. He ended up dying in an asylum, trying to escape from a lunatic asylum. The point is there, the doctors, because they were such a strong and self-possessed kind of guild, they couldn't conceive of the notion that they could be bringing harm to anybody because they were forces for the good. And I think similarly, you often see people, when they have a position of power or influence, even if it's obvious to the rest of the world that they might be doing some ill, they just can't see it in themselves. Well, do you view that as a cognitive bias because they invest so much of their lives and careers into one decision or one set of actions that it's harder and harder for them to stop smoking their own crack, so Mm. to speak? Stick around. There's more Question of the Day coming up right after this break. Stephen, I bet a lot of the listeners of this podcast love books. We're talking about books all the time. I'm assuming people love to either read or listen to books. I think you're probably right, James. But I do think, and I've noticed this a lot, a lot of people don't have time to read, but on their commute or on the gym or whatever, they have time to listen. Often people want to listen to books. So, audible.com an advertiser on Question of the Day, has the perfect solution. I think you're probably right, James. I'm constantly right about this. Get audiobooks and listen to those books you've been meaning to read while on the go. Audible.com provides over 180,000 audio programs from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. 
Their app is free and works on iPhone, iPad, Android, and Windows Phone. You can also download and listen on your Kindle Fire and over 500 MP3 players. And unlike a streaming or rental service, with Audible, you own your books. So you can access your books anytime and anywhere right from your smartphone. Audible.com also has the great listen guarantee. If you decide you don't like the book you choose, no worries. You can exchange any book you are unhappy with for another title anytime, no questions asked. For instance, you can listen to Choose Yourself, written by me, or any of the four Freakonomics books, written and read by Stephen Dubner and Stephen Levitt, and if you don't like any of them, you could actually exchange them for other books. You could exchange I, my book for your book. And, well, just for listeners of Question of the Day, Audible.com is offering a free 30-day trial membership. Go to audible.com slash question right now to start your free trial today. Again, show your support for Question of the Day and get a free audiobook and 30-day trial at audible.com slash question. <laughs> I guess I do view it as a sort of cognitive bias. How um, would you get over that bias? Like, let's say you were really invested in one approach uh, and you had spent years kind of writing books about that approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then data came out that showed you might be wrong. How would you deal with yourself like, and, and kind of remove that cognitive bias if you can? Is it possible? You know, I think about this all the time because we try, you know, in all our Freakonomics books, we, we always try to be as transparent as we can, and also you try to be your own worst critic. So I'll tell you, the reason that I uh, came to really like academic economics, so I'd always liked psychology, I liked sociology, I kind of liked economics, but not really, because it was too mathy, too macro-y for me, just not that interesting. And also, I just don't care about the economy. I kind of care about people and whatnot. But then I started reading Behavioral Economics by Danny Kahneman and Amos Tversky, then all these people that they inspired. And then I also started reading Steve Levitt, who became my co-author on on Freakonomics. So he did a lot of what's called applied micro, not macro, but applied micro, where there's data that actually shows actual behavior, not just theory. And the papers that I read of his and a bunch of other guys, so it could be papers on uh, showing that sumo wrestlers seem to collude and cheat, it, papers showing that teachers seem to cheat, papers showing that uh, the, the real estate agents don't actually try to optimize um, for their clients and so on. And each of these papers would make an argument using the data and stating at the very beginning, here is the thesis that we're arguing, right? But then before you get into developing that thesis and showing why we believe this to be true, what economics papers do that other disciplines don't do, as far as I know, is they say, well, let's look at, you know, five reasons why my argument might not be right. And there's this one, and it could be maybe the effect we're seeing is because of this, or maybe it's because of this. Well, that's how you build the control groups, right? Control groups or just the way I see it is, and I think about this as a writer too, It's a difference between, like, um, propaganda and persuasion. Like, propaganda is my country is the best country that's ever been because this thing is great and this thing is great and this thing is great and all these other countries are idiots. Persuasion is, you know what, this is an imperfect experiment that we're building here, but it's had some really good outcomes. Does that mean it has no flaws? Absolutely not. And to me, anybody who makes an absolute argument, I dismiss almost out of hand. Well, it's interesting. Uh, I read a book recently called Persuasion. Uh, the author, I believe, was Michael Masterson. And uh, in there, a key part of persuasion is to raise the objections before the other side raises the objections. Because then it shows that you're being 
thoughtful to what they might be thinking, and you never put on the defensive. You raise the objections first. And that's like a key component of persuasion. And I find that, sadly, that is seldom done in the realms where it matters most, which is like policy and politics. Where there, you see exactly the opposite. You see a bunch of entrenched people who are saying a lot of factual-sounding things that they have no idea if they're actually factual or not. Oh, I do that all the time. (laughs) I'm not even in politics. (laughs) Where did we begin this conversation? I asked you, why is heroin illegal and cigarettes aren't. And I said, and, 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 I don't know enough about heroin to know whether... You, I'm not recommending it. You can use heroin <laughs> safely and productively. My sense is that that's really hard to do, right? And therefore, it might be a much worse drug for anyone to ever do than marijuana. But I do know more about marijuana and that if you look at marijuana versus alcohol... There's no rational reason, really, for why we collectively historically demonized marijuana and collectively raised alcohol to a point where it's present in just about every sphere of modern society. Well, modern Western society, at least. You know, um, although I did see Donald Trump on TV the other day. And was he smoking marijuana? Was he recommending it? Neither of those, plus which... He, he was talking about his kids. I guess he has three grown kids and maybe one or two more from a second marriage or third or whatever. And he was saying that uh, they were talking about Trump's kids who were very involved in running, helping Trump run his businesses. And they were both saying, the interviewer and Trump were saying that the kids are, you know, impressive and accomplished. And he said, one thing that I told them, I don't know if this is the one thing, but he said, one thing that I told them from the very beginning, no smoking, no drinking, no drugs. And it was interesting to hear a modern parent say that because, you know, cigarettes are still legal, although frowned upon, and alcohol is very legal and not really that frowned upon. But I thought it was really interesting that a guy like that would forbid, essentially, his children from using alcohol at all. Particularly, I I don't know if he's known for being, like, an anti-alcohol. He's not a drinker. Um, I don't know if he had a story. I think he did have a—oh, I do. He did have a story. His brother died young, he said, and he said he was an alcoholic. So I'm guessing that figured into his his premature death. So I had just read this morning, actually, that one beer is the equivalent of eating seven pieces of bread in terms of like, I don't know, the number of carbs in there. So just in terms of diet, I could go along with that. I'm pretty sure that's overstated. But I mean, here's the way I would look at it also. It's like, I would ask any listener to say, you know, let me look around my life and see, uh, has there been anybody in my life who has been damaged or killed or made dysfunctional by alcohol? And has there been anyone in my life made dysfunctional, damaged, or killed, whatever, by marijuana, let's say? And the short answer is almost certainly yes to alcohol and probably a lot less likely for marijuana. Now, one reason is, is that alcohol is legal and therefore omnipresent. So it's really hard to measure that. But still, I think it's a great example of how we assume that things are kind of crystallized for good reason when in fact they're not. You know what's an interesting exercise, and I'm surprised you guys haven't really done it uh, with Freakonomics, but if you look at like the top 10 killers of the United States, like what do people actually die from? And then you ask the question, well, how do you avoid these things? So what reduces your chances of heart disease? What reduces your chances of stroke? What reduces your chances of car accidents? You know, you, you the can... The answer to all of those, by the way, is podcasting. 
<laughs> well, yeah, because we're probably not uh, uh, drinking and smoking in here. But because alcohol and cigarettes are kind of like the causes of the top 10 uh, diseases in the United States. Right, and that's the great irony of, you know, we talk about our health overall and our healthcare system about how bad it is, right? And whatever, I could say a lot about that in that direction. But the fact is, is that a great, great, great many of our premature deaths are self are totally self-inflicted. In fact, suicide is usually among the top 10, especially in the younger age groups. It's way up in the top 10. But Gary Becker, the late economist, once uh, wrote, I'm paraphrasing, maybe I think pretty close to it. He said, basically, all deaths are suicides because we all make a series of choices that somehow consciously or unconsciously, but... That sounds like the sort of thing, though, an economist would say. (laughs) (laughs) Because there are suicides where someone feels, a young person feels psychologically that their set of choices has gone like a funnel. First it was at the top of a funnel, then it gets smaller and smaller and smaller until they feel like they only have one choice. And that's a very psychological phenomenon as opposed to I'm going to drink myself to death over a period of 30 Mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. So, which, yes, it could cause heart disease and strokes and Alzheimer's and all these things, but it's not directly, like, I'm not jumping off a bridge with that. All right, because this has gotten very depressing, let me just ask you, what is one thing that you've been doing in the past month or whatever that anybody within the sound of your voice could also do to make themselves either feel or be a little healthier? This is going to sound kind of stupid or whatever, <laughs> but I think finding as many creative things to be grateful for each day makes me healthier. It improves my relationships with people. It lowers my stress levels. It makes me more creative. Like if I'm not feeling grateful, I'm not going to sit down and write, you know, whatever I need to write or have a good podcast or whatever. You know, even when you're stuck in traffic and like uh, you're feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm stuck in traffic. I'm going to miss my meetings with Steven and it's going to ruin my day. It's still being grateful in difficult situations like, oh my gosh, I live in such a great city that everyone else wants to be here. So (laughs) I'm grateful for this opportunity. So I call that a difficult gratitude problem. And I think solving difficult gratitude problems in general makes you healthier. And I have no scientific studies or economics to base this on, but I know from observing myself in the past five years, it has made me feel 20 years younger. Hmm. Economics is way overrated anyway. We'll answer another question tomorrow. Hear what it is after this. Hi, I'm Devin Faraci. And I'm Amy Nicholson. Hey, Devin. What makes a film worthy of being called one of the all-time greats? Well, I guess you could consider artistic merit or cultural importance or whether the main character is a blonde, if we're talking to you. Or maybe a bearded Italian guy. I mean, don't make this about me. Well, on every single episode of our show, The Canon, we discuss, debate, argue, and sometimes harmoniously agree on which films deserve to be in the canon. We debate, but we leave it up to you, the listener, to decide which films make it in. So check out The Canon with new episodes every Monday. Listen on Wolf Pop, Howl, or your favorite podcast app. Join us next time on Question of the Day, which will sound something like this. How important is the president? How important is the president, James? I think the presidency is not important at all. Like, think about it. In your daily life today, what has happened to you today? Just, and again, it's different for each person, the answer to this. What has happened to you personally today that changed because of who has been the president? Mm -hmm.